everybody. Welcome to Improv FAQ at Length. This is a series of longer conversations about improv topics that have lots of questions surrounding them. And we're very excited to be joined by our good friend, Isaac Kessler. Hey! Yay! Yay! All right! Yay! Uh, Man, I'll tell you, things were going pretty wild for me, as you can see outside. But uh, right <laughs> now, they're feeling pretty... <laughs> magical <laughs> everything's great in my place man oh living the dream I'll tell you. it's all rainbows and gold all rainbows and gold in my, my world man I'll i'm so you. glad what's up yeah what is up dude I, i'm so glad that uh we're able to talk with you, you uh, so you're a good friend of ours that we initially met through the detroit improv festival you're originally from Hell toronto yeah. and yeah. moved out to la a, a while back um and I also want to tell you up front that so far we've done like, I don't know, 15 episodes of this and um, uh, you and Ken uh, and Two Man No Show have come up several times in our conversations about playing styles (laughs) and uh, about uh, just just uh, parts of the conversation that we're really uh, interested in. So I'm excited to talk to you about um, the topic of this conversation, which is generally going to be clown. Um, clown influence and clown and improv infusion, which is kind of getting the title clown prov. Um, and then specifically just your style and two man, no show and, and, and whatever else I, 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 uh, we'll cover as much ground as we, the can. floor is yours, sir. <laughs> yeah. You gotta be careful right now. I like to talk. So you gotta let me know how much I can talk and how far back I have to go to answer this question. Unlimited. Oh, we got Whoa, unlimited. On. We got unlimited minutes. Very dangerous. <laughs> very dangerous. Very dangerous. Uh, I ain't going ooh. nowhere, bud. It plus, it's something I've. I, we've had small conversations about this, but we never had like I've never heard the full story. So I'm. Would you want the full emotional story? Or do you want just like I took classes on this year and then I did this? I want your emotional arc. The emotional arc. The emotional arc. <laughs> what, when did things start to click? You know where you start and when did they start to click? When did it start? When did it start to click? Uh, okay, it's 2020. Um, I, uh, I started improv in 2005, September, 2005. Um, I'm going to see if I can really just like, <laughs> I do always like to put the emotional part of it in a little bit. Um, so I, uh, when I was in school, elementary school, I am from Toronto, Canada. So it's grade seven, not okay. seven grade you primitives over there <laughs> you and your inches get out of here Come on. Yeah. i love inches i love inches big fan of inches Eight miles. big fan of inches though we'll say we'll say uh so yeah when i was um uh a wee lad when i was uh i was just a wee lad over there i'll tell you i think more more than more than the the details in the emotional arc i want as much preface as possible you want preface yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we I'll never even preface. begin your journey me, if it's all preamble. preface you want the preamble i'm gonna give you the preamble but so, so grade se- grade seven what, what what happens for you what's the beginning in grade seven grade seven uh really you know terrible terrible i was bullied very unfortunate, really had a, uh, uh, and I got bullied in grade seven. And then, uh, as did we all sob story. Um, right. but I had like, when I left grade eight, I had no friends. I literally had zero friends grade nine. I had zero friends. And, um, when I, uh, uh, then I'm in high school, grade nine, grade 10 started making 
these two guys and they loved uh, computers. They got me into computers, became my best friends. And then I became, my mom had always said that I would um, like, you know, open up like a butterfly and spread my wings and all that and when I was getting bullied in grade seven. And then, I don't know, something just happened in, in uh, grade 10, grade 10, 11, 12. It was like, I became much more open, outgoing and social and discovering uh, like a comedic side, making people laugh and writing stuff on these um, like email, bulk email things that I would send out. Um, and I would start doing parties at my house twice a year for uh, Hanukkah. I'm Jewish. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what your fans are, but anyway. <laughs> uh, so uh, I had these parties and I just, they get bigger and bigger, no alcohol, just to bring people together and have a good time. And Oh, I do this big preface because then I, and I, then I, you know, I knew a lot of people, super social, went to university, went to York University in Toronto and met a lot of people, like didn't go to class. And, and something that does tie into all this is that I did apply for two things at university. I applied for IT, information technology, because that's what my, my buddies were doing. And I applied to kinesiology because if there's one thing I love, it's um, sports, it's sports and playing sports. And a big part, I think, of my background is that in high school, a Jewish private high school, I, uh, I want to say auditioned. That's not right. It's tried out for uh, 16 sport teams over four oh, ships. And I got rejected from every single one. I never made one sport team. Oh, no. <laughs> and I went out for basketball six times in four years, uh, twice a year for a grade 10, 11, 12. Uh, and uh, yeah, 10 to 11. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I've been thinking about it a lot lately, especially in quarantine, but there's just uh, a lot of rejection, but a lot of getting back up and doing it again. And this fascination in the body and sports and performance. And uh, when I was in grade 11 in this Jewish school, they had the uh, Jewish vocational services come in, which is where they take you out your free day and you do these workshops and stuff to figure out what you're going to do in university. And you had this like meditation moment where you dream and have an imagination. And I dreamt that I was on a football field under the lights playing in front of a huge crowd. And then when I had my one-on-one with the, the two uh, people who were running it, they said, okay, so in that meditation, like dream moment, what was your dream? And I said, well, and I was at a football field under the lights and I was playing in front of a huge crowd and was cheering. And they said, okay, uh, is there a more realistic dream? <laughs> oh, how perfect. how perfect can a dream encouragement? Perfect. Yeah, they're like, well, I like computers. Yeah. They're like, well, computers would be good for you if you sign up for this and yeah. I'm like, okay, dream smaller, kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's so horrible. I ended up applying for IT and kinesiology, and I did IT to be with my friends. And in my first year of university, got academic warning because I really <laughs> hate oh wow computers, and they wouldn't let me go into kinesiology. Now, I'm just going to park that because that part is, um, I'll come back to that uh, pretty soon. So uh, when I'm in university, I'm not going to class. I'm meeting a lot of people. I'm like the sports chairperson of the Jewish Student Federation of Hillel. And I'm doing all the social, I'm social chairperson in my final year of university. Uh, never graduated. Uh, so stay in school, everybody. <laughs> Very important. And uh and so uh, uh, it was in my final year that my brother got me a birthday present. He said, here's a second city class. 
Um, Cause people at the Hillel would say, you do comedy? Like you just stand up because you're really funny. And I would just talk to people and just keep going. And, and I, I had never done a performance. Um, a, like I've never done an improv class before. I had never really done theater either. Um, what I had done in university, cause my, my Jewish school had terrible arts program, actually like zero arts. So I never had arts really growing up. And when I was in university, I discovered, um, I discovered music, but not the music you would think of like piano, but I discovered drumming and I'd always loved drumming and percussion. And when I was in grade nine, at, uh, sorry, first year university, there was this, this dude from Africa wearing like traditional African garb, carrying four or five djembes at one time, big goblet, wooden African drums. And I said, I stopped him. I said, Hey man, are those djembes? And he goes, yeah, these are djembes. I go, Oh my God, I would, I've always loved to learn djembe. And he goes, yeah, you must sign up for my class next year. I teach West African drumming. And I said, I will, I'll do it. My name's Isaac, by the way. He goes, my name is also Isaac. Wow. Like, Oh my God, dude. Isaac, Isaac Akrong was his name. And he taught um, music from Ghana in West Africa. I signed up for West African drumming for my second university, but I got Anna Melnikoff, a Canadian lady who, who taught Ghanaian, not uh, Malenke, it's called, from Mali, not Ghana. Not, so I got like a oh. different West African, but blessedly uh, right where I needed to be because that really put me on an interesting journey, which does tie into everything for me. Um, that for the next three years university, I did West African drumming three years in a row. I did Afro-Brazilian samba uh, two years in a row. And uh, then I got into uh, South Indian drumming. I did um, private, this bothered me. <laughs> I did Latin percussion. I learned the dumbek, which is the Arabic drum, the congas. And within all these certain classes like West African and uh, the samba one, it's, it's all performative. And a lot of the students weren't. They would just sit there and like try to get the rhythms. And I would just go at it. And I would just be up moving my body to the music. And just we'd come up with funny like, you know, bits to do while we were drumming. <laughs> it does really tie in because then in that final year, I went to Second City. And I'd never really gone downtown by myself. So it was a big thing for me. So 2005, to my first Second City class, uh, fell in love. Fell in love the moment I got in there. Uh, there was this uh, beautiful energy of just protection and sharing and laughter. And it felt so safe. And I remembered everybody's name and they remember my name and everybody cared about each other. And I thought, well, this is insane how this is the way I want to live. And this is what's required three hours a week. Uh, so fell in love with it. You know, when you have those, I know we've all been with people, teams or classes that just, have the greatest group mind on earth. And at the time, I didn't know what group mind was, but this class, you know, five, four or five of us stuck together from A to E. That's the Second City Five level program. Yep. And because we had so much fun and love for each other, people would like magnetize in from those level B, level C. So by the end of E, we had like 10 of us that had been together for three levels. And we had almost the same teacher we requested from the first two, Kate Ashby, who's a brilliant teacher in Toronto. Um, so 
I was very blessed to like really discover the love of group mind and the play so early on in my improv journey. Um, and then I got into the conservatory program and I auditioned for it. And at that point, when I said, they said to me, you got in, I thought, well, that can't be right. Cause when I try out for something, I, I don't get in. That's normally oh. what happens. So when I got in, I felt, oh, this is interesting. This is something that doesn't normally happen for me that I actually get something. Huh. <laughs> Acceptance. Acceptance. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and that is where I met Ken Hall. Uh, and so Ken Hall and I were in the same conservatory class, and that is a six-level program at Second City that, uh, if people don't know, that um, they gear you into to, to a, a sketch show in the Second City style of sketch comedy. So level first two levels are like improv, and then you go into an archive show, third level, when I was doing it. And that's, uh, you know, that was my first time doing like theater, like monologues and uh, scenes. And then you build a show, uh, the final two levels to perform a show in front of, you know, friends and family. Yeah, that's what my my experience was like as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I never did a scene with Ken Hall, which is an important thing to wow. Really? So year, crazy yeah, to for a year and a half, never did a scene together. We're not <laughs> in a scene uh, in the final show, except for when we got to drum together. <laughs> which is something that we have in common uh, amongst many other things we found out. <laughs> so, uh, were, were, were you two getting along though? Uh, despite not being really working directly with, with each we, other? We'd be best friends. Best we yeah. became so tight um, during that conservatory experience. And during that conservatory experience, that was 06 to 07. Within, within con, I was doing like almost Every night I was doing improv. I was doing other classes and I was on teams. Uh, and that was a big, big summer for me of 07 because it was in that summer that I thought, I think I really want to do this, whatever this is. This might be called acting, theater. I don't know what this is. I think I want to do this. So that was a huge switch for me. And it was in that summer as well. My mind was blowing. But at the same time, I started doing the Herald class uh, through a bad dog theater. Um, and then I started doing what's called the, uh, now defunct, but it's the impatient theater company, ITC. And the ITC did a five week summer program in Toronto. That was Chicago based long form, uh, which was in a different style from the bad dog version of the Herald at the time. So, but that was, that was also very important in my journey because that had teachers from Chicago that, that, that was brought in to teach at ITC. So I got people who love Carrie Barrett. Uh, oh my God. Craig Kukowski. Um, uh, uh, Bill. Uh, oh shit. Bill. Uh, oh! Bill Arnett. Bill Arnett. Lovely Bill Arnett. Oh yeah. Bill Arnett. And what I did like Carrie Barrett, who I saw in LA two years ago at an audition insane. And we got to go in together. I love Carrie. And Carrie was our first level teacher. I'd never experienced anyone. Carrie. I don't, I mean, if, I don't know if Carrie ever watches, I hope she does, but thank you, Carrie. And then also I have a feeling that Carrie has a big love for Susan Messing. And that's important because I met Susan later on. And Susan is like my godmother. I love Susan. Susan's one of the best improv teachers everybody will ever have ever. So um, I got heavy into it. I got heavy into it. That Chicago style of long form 
was organic. It was group mind. It was really, it was vulnerability. It was, it was like theater at the time. I didn't even realize what it was. And that set me on a big journey. I then went to the uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival in 2008 and I performed a sketch show. Um, and uh, uh, we didn't do so. We, did, we, we, we uh, spent a lot of money on that. We didn't make the money back. But uh, okay. <laughs> that was my first ever comedy festival. And then, oh, nine, I went to uh, the Annoyance Theater Intensive in Chicago for a week. And that's when I fell in love with Chicago. And then the, in 09, I went to the five, the, uh, this, the IO intensive, summer intensive, five weeks. That's where I met Jet Eveleth, who changed my life in many big ways as well. Mm. And another uh, guy as well I met was Todd Stashwick, who also changed my life. Um, the brilliant things about Jet Eveleth and Todd Stashwick is that at the time- Can I, can I, can I, can I interject with just a quick question? Because yeah, go for it. I, I feel like Jet's going to be uh, an introduction to that, that clown side of things, yes. uh, as far as I know. But yes. I just, I'm curious up until this point, because you've had this history in uh, growing up in grade school uh, with the physical performance yeah. and athletics um, pursuits, and then the musical performance and rhythm and, and whatnot- once you find Second City and you're starting to perform and uh, work with comedy, are are you already? Um, do you have physical high physicality in your performance style? Is that something that people are noticing or that you're noticing about yourself? Is that you you tend to be more physical as a player? Great question. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right from the um, I don't I don't, don't want to say get go because uh, you know level A. I I, I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Who I don't could? know if any of us can, but <laughs> but I do remember moments and ah, big characters, you know, it was real big. And yes, to answer that question, yes, like as I got more and more into it, I guess about a year, about a year or so in, people would be like, you know, commenting, "You're so physical," and then later on, you know, I just. I got, <laughs> I got to be careful. Uh, it's not ego, but people would say, wow, you're really physical. You're really physical, very physical performer. And that would be something that I had become known for. And for many, many years, I will say up until maybe 2017, I don't, didn't really understand how, how I was physical. Like, I don't really. Yeah. Like, and that really years at this point of people, like, you're so physical, you know, you should teach physicality and, and, and had, but then also not really understanding, like, well, I, I guess I am more than other people, but couldn't separate myself from at times. It was difficult to see myself from the way other people saw me. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so jump, jump, yeah, jump back to, uh, meeting people like, Jed Eveleth and uh, who was the other instructor that you said that you met? Todd Stashwick. Todd okay, cool. Stashwick. Now uh, I met them like Todd. It was in 08 at a four hour workshop, changed my life in Chicago. And then Jet was 09 in, uh, in IO Chicago. Now these people at the time had never met. And incredibly enough, they speak about long form improv in the same way. In, in this amazing uh, musicality, this, this, this energetic feeling of what improv and long form is and what the show is and what a scene is and what a character and the body and this idea of what true play is and group mind and physicality and how to, um, 
isolate and be present on stage with the body and the shapes that we make up on, you know, in space. Uh, and so uh, Jet, especially, you know, I remember Jet, it was one of the nicest things everybody said to me. She said, you are an, an amazingly physical performer. You're so incredibly flexible on stage. I love watching you perform. Something like that that she said. And I was like, really? <laughs> and I didn't even know. <laughs> Jet, you know, Jet has, at that time already, she was one of the best. Um, yeah. And still is. And she's so physical. She's so physical. You watch Jet on The Reckoning, any show she does, it's just incredible. I mean, not only is she blessed with that, you know, uh, she's like yoga. Like she just, you can't, you know, what do they call it? Like, um, not a ventriloquist. Come on, Bob. Uh, acrobat. <laughs> what, are acrobat you, what are you saying? Contortionist. Like just Contortionist. incredibly. <laughs> oh, Come I was on, thinking Bob. that. I just didn't want to say it. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> it was in a high pitch. That's why I, you couldn't hear it. I <laughs> wanted to watch your journey. That's, that's what I'm here for. I mean. So, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, it changed my life. And that IO intensive was incredible. The annoyance intensive the year before for a week also changed my life. That's when I met Susan Messing and Mark Sutton and Joe Bill, whose birthday was yesterday at this point. Well, yep. uh, and that was important, too, because this energy I left after five days at the annoyance changed me who I was as a performer. They do say you get so full of the annoyance energy, you kind of have to let it sit and dissipate and you take on, you know, what works for you. Um, also around this time, uh, 08, 09 was when I, I got put onto a Herald team at the ITC and it was called standards and practices. Now at the time it was like 10 people, 10 or 12 people. And slowly, you know, people left and things happen and we were performing weekly until it came down to the four of us, uh, Matt Foley at Cameron Algy, Kevin Whalen and myself. And we had known for a while that was the core four. And that became, you know, one of the reasons that uh, I, you know, it's one of those things. I love Michael Jordan so much. And Michael Jordan would always play with people in their 40s when he was growing up because he always played against people who were way better than him. So with those guys, it was like I was always playing with people who were better than me. Uh, because they're so talented and our group mind was so tight. And I, for the first time, was allowed to do the things. They made me look good. And I could be even bigger than I was and physical and out, you know, and they would make yeah. everything look yeah. beautiful. You have this amazing safety net when you, when you are playing with people that much more experienced than you or, um, uh, yeah, like you said, playing with people that, that you feel are, are better than you is, is you're like, well, I can swing for the fences when I'm doing this and go through a lot of, especially if you're sitting on that annoyance energy and you're like, yeah. I got to I gotta release this and kind of find my way and uh, but do it in, in a with a team in a setting that's not going to uh, damage relationships or, or create tension. Uh, I imagine that that is a great um, way to let out a lot of that playing style and, and grow. With a huge, team like that. huge. And that team too, you know, even when we had more people, we had a real important, uh, no offense here, come to Jesus meeting. Uh, was, uh, sorry, Bob. <laughs> I'm so mad right now. So mad. Um, really, really beautiful uh, meeting we had. We had a lot of issues with the, the, the coach, one of the players, the guy who runs a company, blah, blah, blah. 
where we had this beautiful meeting where we went around the table and said to everybody, like 10 people, like, what do you want for yourself? You know, what can we do for you as a team? What do you want more on stage from yourself and from the team? We went around and, you know, we all heard each other out. And then the next show is goddamn amazing where everybody was given everything they wanted. I wanted to fly more, you know, so they picked me up at the end of the show and they all raised me and I was flying in the air. It was so much joy. It was incredible. And, you know, Cameron, we have a lovely because Cameron said, yeah, I just don't want to do what I'm doing. So I just want to be new Cameron from now on. And so, okay, well, new Cam. So he just changed and started doing whatever it is he wanted to do differently from that. Oh my God. That wow. is, that's amazing. He just I, said, yeah, I don't like what I'm doing. So I just want to be new Cam. And I'm like, oh. can I ask, did you notice the difference between old Cam and new Cam? Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah uh, I, like, I just had this thought like, I'm new Cam. Like, I don't see the difference. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah I love it. <laughs> Oh no, freedom, freedom, man. When you, when you allow somebody, freedom, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, that freedom ties into the clown, uh, as well. Um, so hey, you guys stop me, which you are doing, which is great. So this is all kind of, it, it ties in at the same. Well, let, let me, let me just do, let me just do a real quick note yeah, on please. that. If, if, if we, there is a window to, to chime in, There's um, always a window. Beca- because I really do love that, um, de- declaration of, I want to be the new me. Um, very brief nutshell is that like I moved around a lot growing up. Um, and so one of the benefits that I, that I got, uh, against the cons of not being able to stay with my friends in school systems is that I got to kind of reinvent myself every couple of years moving. Mm. Um, and that taught me how valuable it is to be given a fresh impression for, to, to, to build with new people. And in improv, when you're working with teams, especially if you're developing out of classes or in a conservatory program or, or a first like featured team, um, you, you, you can get stuck in these habits of the old performer that used to be whatever style you are before you learn things. And so I just love the idea of, of having that kind of meeting where you're like, I'm done. I want to, I want a fresh slate, um, to be totally different and and that 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 kind of freedom does enable um a huge leap forward for for people if if that uh permission is granted and it's authentic um that's very cool i just wanted to kind of point that out i think it's a conversation that troops can really have especially if they're groups that started as a student group or like a a first run house team it's like check in every once in a while and be like what kind of things do you want to shake off and what kind of fresh start do you need to keep growing hundred percent. It'll, it'll reignite a spark. It'll just, it just build a new house. It's just starting fresh. We can always start. We can always start over. Do you know what I mean? Especially during this quarantine. Yeah. I, I listen, it's a really challenging emotional time for me. And, uh, you know, I have to remember that too. It's every day, every moment you can be a different person. You can be new, Yeah. you know, you can shed all the stress and the trauma yeah. if you wish. And <laughs> it's tough, but it takes, it takes a challenging thing. And, I, I was blessed to, in that uh, Australia trip in 08, first time traveling by myself for four and a half months. And, and I discovered what you said, James, for myself in 08, which was nobody knows me here. And I, and I literally stood differently and I walked around differently and I held myself in a different way. And I could reinvent myself every single, you know, invent myself into a new being. Um, and that does tie into the, physical theater clown stuff later on, which is the essence of clown theater, really. Um, So 
09 was very big for me as well uh, because that's when Ken Hall and I did our first show together uh, at the Toronto Fringe and we called ourselves Two Man No Show and it did very well. It was, at the time, uh, we thought it was sketch comedy. It was actually more clown than sketch comedy. Of course, more sketch than clown, but it was a very clown show. Our director, Mark Andrada, uh, was a, is a great clown and director. And, uh, also my dad is a very funny guy. Helped us put that show together. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. My dad was a big reason why that show got, uh, the way, the way it is. So we're very grateful to him. Cool. Uh, so, uh, you know, a little, uh, I won't go too long. Uh, Ken and I, he's, you know, best friend, comedy partner, two man, no show. We did that. Oh, nine show. And then we, you know, what I love about Ken, and this is something for everybody is improv. Ken was always just saying yes to everything. Ken will always say, uh, you know, I said, hey, you know, you did really well. Do you want to like tour the show? He's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and he had a job. <laughs> and he always said, yeah, okay, let's do it. Let's go to this festival. Do you want to go to this festival? Sure, okay, let's do it. And that's what he is on stage too. You know, he's always, just, yeah, okay, let's go. Let's do this thing. Let's just follow it. Let's follow the energy, follow the fun. Uh, and we anyways, since 09, we've done, uh, I don't know, man, shit, like 46 festivals, you know, improv and sketch. We wrote uh, three three shows, three full-length shows that uh, we've toured. We went to um, Edinburgh and we did a lot. In 2010, I think we did like 80 shows or something. Wow. <laughs> Hour-long Whoa. sketch shows in, in 2010. We did a crazy tour. So what is the first time you two get together to do a show? Yeah. Um, what does it look like? Is it, you, said, you said it's kind of like clown meets sketch um is it is it scripted uh or is it is it kind of like the beats of routines and segments to the show that you um just kind of play through uh what, what what's the format or the kind of mission statement of the show the first time you guys do it i will answer that question i did want to tell you guys that i do believe i also have the very first time we did an improv set on on film Oh really? <laughs> yeah, oh, I think really? I have my, yeah, because we called ourselves Two Man No Show. I th- I think it was the summer of '09, so I think it was like during Fringe or right before we wanted to promote, but we hadn't even finished our show yet, and it was a friend's birthday show, and I have like a twenty minute set that I think <laughs> twenty minute improv set together, um, and it was it's, it's so fucking it's so fucking stupid and crazy. Oh. Like it's not. It's not good. It's not bad either, though. I mean, was a, we were samurai. I don't know if it's a little... Can't do that anymore, but... Uh, <laughs> it's incriminating. Yeah. He cut me. Now I mean, I'm offended. Now we can't do uh, it. It's samurai, and I like did yeah. one of those like anime, you know, like samurai showdown where like... And then like the head came this way and the body goes that way and the head drops down. And it's kind of like... So, I remember it was fun. Anyways, uh, the very first show, James, uh, uh, we had a smattering of ideas. And we had six weeks before we opened our opening night, we had no show. That's why we call ourselves Two Man No Show. And um, my dad sat us down like three weeks before, maybe two weeks. It was like, okay, we got to get something on paper. What do you have? And we had a big uh, flip chart. We started writing and... He's like, yeah, I like that idea. That's going to go there. And I said, well, I got this Jurassic Park date thing I did in Australia. Yeah, you're putting that in the show. We're doing that. It's like, okay. Uh, uh, really quick, um, does your dad have a theater background or he's just being helpful? 
no, no theater background. My dad is a brilliant, um, creatively brilliant. So he, for 30, over 30 years, uh, made jingles. He did radio commercials. So he, <laughs> he wrote and directed and did voiceover. So I was blessed to be in the studio a lot and watch him work and direct and do voiceover, uh, radio and TV commercials. He's a, I mean, funniest guy I've ever met. Um, like, and grew up with Marx. Always, only showed us the Marx Brothers, never Abbott and Costello. Uh, Marx Brothers, Looney Tunes, not Disney. So he really like showed <laughs> us the kind of comedy he liked. And so I was raised. That's awesome. I was raised in cartoon and and that world. And I think you know when you have no friends and you get bullied and you go into the world of video games and animation. I've been thinking about it that that's where my imagination goes to a lot of the things. When I visualize something that I want to do or what it looks like, I go to a world that isn't real. I go to an imaginary world that can bend reality because it's, it's a cartoon. It's animation. That's what I think is the funniest. And the fucking timing. Oh, the timing in Looney Tunes. Are you yeah. mind the yeah. timing? You know what I mean? Like, oh, this, I'm over a cliff. You know, damn, I didn't get it. You know, I'm looking around and then you look down and then you look up and it's like, <laughs> and then you fall. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just brilliant comedy. You know, yeah. I think Looney Tunes should be required viewing for everybody. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I agree. absolutely. I agree. Um, so yeah, my dad, uh, you know, brilliant uh, director's eye, but never did theater. He actually helped get um, people. He grew up in Hamilton. Hamilton, I don't know. Man, I don't know. I guess Ferndale is like maybe the Hamilton of Toronto or something like that. Like if it's, it's like 45 minute drive from Toronto. It's a steel okay. town. It's a uh, working class. And so many famous people came from Hamilton. We got like Eugene Levy, um, Paul Schaefer. Uh, I think, I think Marty, I think Martin Short's from there. Um, Dave Thomas. So a lot of these people, like my dad helped out on SCTV which was where, you know, Catherine O'Hare and Eugene Levy and John Kennedy's guys. So he knew. So it's like, it's like Toronto commuter town. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's also its own, like you would just live in Hamilton. That's where you're from. And it's a real something about it. A lot of people came from Hamilton. Um, cool. My dad, and that, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and so your dad's working with you. So I, I was sorry, just, to, just to kind of uh, yeah, 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 swing yeah. it back to the, your two man, no show uh, first run, he's helping you out. And, you said he was working with you on the uh, footpad of like, let's get some stuff on paper. Um, uh, and then you got something, you said you, you pulled something from a, a Jurassic Park bit that you did from the, the um, Australia. Australia show. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, that's a formal script or like a, like a fully written thing. And are you also including things that are like here? It's just like, uh, it's a premise and, uh, a beginning, middle, end, like giving yourself kind of a stuff? green light here and there. Yeah. Well, my friend Jenny Cerullo, who I hope watches, I love you, Jenny. Uh, Jenny was in the Australia show with us. Uh, when I was in Con Second City, I pitched this idea of a guy doing Jurassic Park, um, like the whole movie <laughs> in a very okay. short amount of time. And my teacher uh, said uh, that would be funny in a one-panel cartoon. <laughs> so uh, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't get many ideas into that con show. Um, but my brilliant friend, Jenny, I told her that as we're writing this show in a month for Australia, 
she said, oh, that's so funny. I'll write it. I'll write the sketch. So what she presented was the piece of paper that she typed out that said, you know, like we're going on a date and it's like, hi, my name is Jenny. Hi, my name is Isaac. Tell me about yourself. Okay. I love like, you know, what's your favorite movie? And I go, it's Jurassic Park. She goes, oh, tell me about it. And then she has an asterisk and then it says, Isaac does Jurassic Park and then asterisk. And then it goes, wow, I didn't know, blah, 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 whatever. Like, we'll change it. And that was like, oh, is that a sketch? Okay, I can do that. So that's what the sketch is. So the sketch is- Okay, cool. And then Ken and I, to answer your question uh, properly, it's no, the show was never written. Okay. When we started touring without our director, Mark, um, it was very difficult and the show changed. And we went through a lot of stress and challenges with the show on tour because- the show truly was a clown show. And to me, what that means in this sense is that it was never written down. We knew our beats. I later learned like in Commedia dell'arte, they're called like, uh, there's something called Lazzi's. Like a Lazzi is a comedic beat that you hit. So we had these beats. We had the order of the show. Mark is a brilliant tech guy. Is it like he's, a, I don't know. <laughs> he has probably a degree in tech or something. He's a master. So he would follow us. He would cue sounds. He put the music and the lights. He knew what had to happen. We knew the beats we had to hit. Things can change within it. We can improvise. We can feel the moment. We can play with something and let it go a bit if we need to with the audience, listen to what the audience wants. But we know the beats of the show. You know, we even got so far as we, we ran it for the first time the night before we opened and we were 10 minutes short. <laughs> we had like a 40 minute show. So we thought of the idea like, well, why don't we pretend that we had mics on leave the stage. We've already done our multiple bows. And then we go on actual mics on the side and just start chatting from behind the curtain, uh, breathing really heavy, <laughs> being like, ah, like, great show, man. Yeah, you too. Oh man, you see that? Like, man, she's pretty hot in the first, you see that girl? Like, <laughs> so we're just saying stuff. And some people, that was a favorite part because the show would never end. They just didn't know if they could leave or not. One guy got mad at us and said, like, he stood up and said, you can leave, the show's over. You're allowed to go. <laughs> <laughs> so James, to answer your question, we never, we never wrote the show down. And it was very difficult. That's awesome. After the summer of 09 wow. tour, because I had, I had to write, the touring is very hard. My, my, my heart goes out to everybody who's toured. It's a very difficult thing. And the first time for Ken and I, Ken had a job, so I had to tech the show without him sometimes. I had to give it to tech people who weren't our directors. So I had to write our show down. And the show changed because once you start putting in somebody following a direction, they're not truly playing with us, you know? And Mark was yeah, right. a, a third performer in the show. And... You know, it's a big thing. So really it's like, well, how do you create a show that allows that kind of fluidity? Um, I, I, maybe the answer is you've got to, the director, that's, like, they, they got to come with you. They got to be yeah. the person. Yeah. Maybe. And that's hard. It's a lot of money. An extra person, you know, so... If that answers your question, uh, that's uh, yeah. I was I was curious to know, like, to what degree it was it was written, and and uh, because th that seems like the from the outset that you two were intending to do something more free form or open ended uh, with with some structure, but um, and yeah, like you said, so you didn't realize at the, at the time that the the connection to the format that you were using and 
clown, really. When, when was it that, that you started to kind of identify things that you were doing as clown and, and more uh, leaning into it intentionally? Um, okay, so that that is... Um, that, uh, right before 09, that was 08, where I met Todd Stashwick, and that's where Todd Stashwick came in. Todd Stashwick talked about the clown. He talked about... He has a, a great clown background, he began to speak about the clown and physicality. And then when I met Jed Eveleth in 09, which was directly after Ken and I performed for the first time, I met Jet, and Jet started speaking about clown and this world of physical theater. Uh, so those were like, they got injected in here and they were now percolating being like, okay, what is, you know, what's that mean? I always thought it was like, you know, Hong Kong circus clown kind of thing. Right, yeah. that's what most people think. What most people that. think, right? Yeah, I think I have a whole nother chat we could have on another time. I <laughs> little side note, Ken and I performed the Sarasota Improv Festival uh, run by Will Luera, Love Will, uh, last yeah. summer. And it was incredible. We got to go to the Barnum, uh, the, yeah, the, 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 the Ringling Brothers Circus Museum, because in Sarasota is where they would train during the winter. And I got sucked into a worm, like an hour, 45 minutes of reading and taking photos of this timeline they had in the museum of the history of circus clown in America. And that's a whole other conversation because that is like the circus is the heart of North American entertainment. Before TV, it was the circus. That's where everything started before even like the beginnings of vaudeville and everything comes from the circus the pro wrestling it's really yeah, all that everything stuff. man yeah. and then yeah. like being in the round and being with the audience and looking out into the audience when i did study with philippe Gaulier, who i'll get to in a moment he would talk about the british guy who started the clown and then i i read it on the time i'm like oh my god my, my mind is being thrown here so yeah so I, yeah I'll, I'll get to this so uh, it was uh, Jet is a big reason because I, I just have to preface this because uh, what happened with Jet is that I love Jet so much that I said to her, my friend Rob Chodas and I, we said, hey, can we bring you to Toronto to teach a workshop? She said, yeah, of course. So we brought Jet to teach a weekend workshop, blew everybody's mind. Since then, I, I produced uh, a six, I, four, 14 workshops, I think, 14 workshops in like four years. And we brought okay. up people from Chicago, like Dave Rosowski and Greg Hess from Cook County, who are maybe the best improv <laughs> uh, improv group in the world. One of the best. And um, through another theater, uh, TJ and Dave came up and t taught again. When I got to the end of, I don't know, maybe the uh, ninth workshop, I felt, I felt I can't, I can't keep doing, I can't keep doing improv. I've, it's going to sound bad, but like, I can't learn any more improv. I've learned everything I need from improv. I've studied with so many of the most amazing performers and teachers. There's something I'm missing. And I spoke to Jet and Jet said, well, you need to study with Audrey Francis from the Black Box Academy in Chicago. And you got to study with another one of my mentors, Paola Coletto, who's an Italian lady from Chicago as well. And I, I, I actually emailed both of them. They both responded and said, yeah, we'd love to come up which was amazing. And they also shared the same studio space in Chicago <laughs> and passed each other uh, in the hallway and found out they were coming up a month apart. And Audrey was incredible. Meisner viewpoints. Paola 
Paola really changed my life. Paola Coletto was uh, is a one of the best teachers on earth. She is uh, she teaches the Lecoq pedagogy. So Jacques Lecoq is now we're getting really into the the heart of clown right now in physical theater. The Lecoq pedagogy from Jacques Lecoq is probably like the the, the uh, preeminent. I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, but it is probably the most uh, well regarded uh, physical theater school on earth uh, from Paris. And this guy, Jacques Lecoq, uh, you know, he was a tyrant. He was a real tyrant. <laughs> he, he did not like women. He followed something called via negativa, which is the way of negativity. So you're just, you know, you're just hit hard. You're shamed. You're just belittled in this class and performance. But also a brilliant guy and changed the world of theater. He brought in mime from the work of Jacques uh, Copeau and Marcel Marceau. And he brought in the world of mask and mask is where a lot of things changed. And I'm uh, interested in talking to you guys. So I was asked to do a, a talk about this and I'm putting it off because I, I want to really get more of the history behind it. So I don't really have that yet. However, what I did, what I think I've learned is um, he went out, Lecoq went out. He was a student and actor. He said, I need to something more. He went out into the fields of Italy uh, with uh, or France uh, with uh, this guy Sartori and they would look at farmers in the field and they'd have these manuscripts from ah, maybe the 1500s, 1600s that showed uh, uh, paintings and drawings of Commedia dell'arte. Now Commedia dell'arte was like the church, thank you church, you know, they said no we that's uh, actually it's it's bad, it's the devil's work so we're going to remove all history of Commedia dell'arte. So all they had were drawings of the characters of Commedia dell'arte. Now, as you guys have heard before, improvisation as we know it stems from Commedia dell'arte because that was almost the, you know, before, you know, there's like Greek theater and then there was Commedia dell'arte, which was this so much improvisation. You knew the physicality of the, I kind of get up and do like, you know, like, <laughs> like dottore, dottore, and you know, like, like pantalone. And there's these certain physical movements that you would have, you would study, um, to lock into that physicality, to become the character. And they had a mask. They'd wear a mask with a certain, it'd be very specific to the character. So you know that this is who that character is. You know, Capitano always has his chest out and he's always, you know, big and brash and he's stupid. He's always thinks he's the hero, but he's really the, the coward. And so this idea of physicality and the body and, and where to put tension, you know, and intention and how to play is, I would imagine, the beginnings of theatricality, uh, character, improvisation, animation. You look at animation, yeah. you look at Popeye, you look at Bluto, you look at Mickey Mouse, you look at the way they move yeah. and the way they, and it's very commedia dell'arte. So, yeah. I was going to say that, that it's, mm -hmm. it is, it's kind of a little bit like, um, I was going to kind of draw an analogy to modernize it a little bit of, of Looney Tunes being like, you you have these stock characters in comedia where, um, like you said, they're, they're 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 archetypes or they're templates of character, and they have uh, certain attributes that you're trying to mimic. And so it would, it would be like, uh, am I gonna? Can I play a good Bugs Bunny? And what do I need to do to play uh, Bugs Bunny's uh, mannerisms? Um, you know, and, and, and can I put that character in any scenario to do have these like sketches and routines? Um, and 
so so but in comedia it's also that they're not scripted right that they, they, they have scenarios yep. um and like you said uh beats uh lotsi lotsi is that it lotsi yeah yeah that that are um maybe the checkpoints of the uh routine but otherwise you're you're kind of just milking the space between point a and point b and making sure that you hit point a and point b for consistency of what you know works and everything in between is can we riff with the energy in the room or the energy of the audience using this template of a character to mess around with hundred percent yeah yeah very very well put very well put um and and i think that that is it, it's so it was so impactful to all of theater because and what lecoq did is that he took i think they were looking at the drawings and they looked at they went onto the fields and they watched the farmers move and how they hold their bodies and the and the, and the workers of the like the the people who you would be have been inspired from 500 years ago and developed sartori was and what you know him and his son were the the mask makers in the world and they would recreate the mask so on top of this lecoq and sartori developed what's called the neutral mask now the neutral mask is a very important thing um which i'll get to in a moment so so uh Paola, Paola, Paola changed my life because Paola came to Toronto, taught a weekend workshop. I brought her up uh, four years in a row to teach a workshop. And Paola studied with Lecoq in the third year, which is the pedagogical year. Um, so, like, you learn to become a teacher by, by being next to the teacher. And then he died the following year. So she was in the last class ever study with Lecoq. Um, and she's the, you know, she developed herself into being an incredible incredible teacher, brilliant person, beautiful lady. And, um, she, she, she comes at you with the neutral mask, with the presence of the mask. And she takes you on this journey of the mask as they call it. And that was my first foray into true European physical theater and mask work. Mm -hmm. And that is the beginning of clown. Cause what Lecoq also did is he was the first guy to use the red nose as a pedagogical tool. He was the guy that said, oh, look at this red nose. If we put it on, it strips away all these masks. It makes us, our, our child, the beautiful child, the innocent comes out and we see who we are underneath, underneath it all. What people may not know is that that's also like the hardest mask to play. And it's the last mask. It's almost the red nose. Yeah. Like you do, yeah. it, you do it at like the second year of a two year program. Like it's tough. You don't. Yeah. Cause, cause so, 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 okay. So I just want to kind of sum up a little bit about Lecoq be, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Isaac, cause you're going to end up being more uh, familiar. Um, but one, I would be, uh, I think, I think we should point out that I, uh, Lecoq also had a background in athletics and uh, an interest in physical movement through sports uh, movement. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure, which is interesting to me that, that that's part of your background too. Um, and I, then I think you're right. I don't, he would have had to, and this is the thing I really got to look into him because you're right. Cause it's so fascinating, right? Like I thank you for letting me talk about my background. Cause that's like, where do people really come from? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where did he yeah. come oh, that's from? That's the interesting part. 
Like, yeah. where did he come from? For for a guy to be like, I want to do this. It's like he's got to come mm. from somewhere, dude. Well, isn't that the most interesting like superhero story? Like the origins. Like, oh, yeah. Fuck. Like, 100%, yeah, like 100%. let's let's get into it, man. 100%. Yeah, well, kind of anti-hero too, because he—I mean, he—he uh, he also reminds me the way you were talking about him of Del Close, who's you know got oh yeah put up on a pedestal, but also has uh, the ugly side uh, of um... before class. Uh, who brought <laughs> yeah. drugs? Yeah, and if you do yeah. have drugs, but isn't, you it, share. isn't it crazy though? Like Del Close and Philippe Gaulier and Lecoq, like they really changed. They really changed. You can hate them as much as you want, but man, they—they they gave us something pretty special too. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that the that the uh, uh, the Holy Grail is is kind of like, can we can we do that without the um, the side effects of uh, those kind of personalities? Yes. Um, but but oh, so, so, talking so about the drug use. I mean, we wouldn't have modern psychology without, you know, no. Coke. So, you I know, mean, can you, damn. Yeah. Can we just... Can you, <laughs> Can we just restart the episode? Because I'll just yeah, yeah, like, yeah, let's bring it back. Well, I see. Actually, guys, I do. Um, it's heroin, really. <laughs> it's all heroin. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Heroin but, and so, cocaine. So, yeah. So, so but uh, I just wanted to point that out about Lecoq, and then also uh, kind of sum up the neutral mask thing is that uh, he has a school of, of teaching that it involves uh, mask work, and that neutral mask is about kind of stripping things down to a very basic form of, of existence and moving through uh, moments um, and and doing almost as little as possible to just be um, and, and finding your version of that with neutral mask. It, it, is that, is that uh, somewhat in line or close to what the idea with neutral mask is, is just like... How can you get down to basic being as you? Hundred percent, you got. It. Okay, okay. So, so, so then, starting with neutral mask, there is a progression of masks, um, and then you were talking about the red nose, which is uh, after you go through all these different masks and and the types of uh, character or personality or different uh, energies behind these masks, uh, you start to to strip down the mask to this to the red nose. Which existed before Lecoq, but but the way he's using it is is like it's the smallest form of a mask, and and most of what's happening is you, but we've now boiled it down to just this one spot on you that is is still the mask, uh, so that you are in in that mode of play and of clown. Uh, yeah. Is uh, yeah. Correct. Correct me. I'm where I'm and where I'm missing the target here. No, you're not missing any targets. Um, it's, you know, and I, I'm not even, uh, I, I wish I could remember word for word what all of my teachers have taught me. You know, it's, it's something along those lines, though. I, I just kind of wanted to point out the, the, the arc as, as you were starting to, to, to crack into it, because we're but starting it, to get a little deeper in the, in the weeds on, we on the clown stuff. So. And if I may, if we can just go on Lecoq pedagogy for a moment. Absolutely. Yeah. May, yeah. So it's a very fascinating journey of the mask. Um, because as you said, correct, uh, the neutral mask is the beginning. That's where you start. Um, you look it up, there's really only one, there's like a male, female uh, version of it, kind of. Um, but it's just two rectangular slits and one here. And it strips away everything. It's neutral, there's no expression. And as you said, yes, exactly. We are left with just the body on stage. Now, without the mask on, the work in... Lecoq pedagogy and all this stuff is, like you said, like athletic. It, it, it's sport. And it is incredibly, they don't call it 
they, they, they call it training. And that blew my mind because this is training. This isn't I'm going to improv class. No offense to anyone who calls it improv class, but you're learning, <laughs> you're learning training. And training, in my opinion, means something that you do and that you have to keep doing. You can't just do it and let it go. Of course, you retain, but you have to train. You know, uh, I'm watching The Last Dance, uh, which is, you know, brilliant with the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. But I love Michael Jordan, like I mentioned, and he is one of my idols. And uh, like anything, I mean, once he... Once he, once he got to the NBA, he doesn't have to shoot a thousand shots a day. He's already done that. He's already done a thousand shots a day. Now he just has to go before, uh, you know, the, the game, I want to say the show, he has to just get the rhythm in. He has to feel it out certain things and he's into it. And I think this is a lot about the physical theater training. It's tough because you got to train your body. You got to really actually literally change your body. It's not that it's not about what your size is. It's about understanding what your body can do in space. And that's mm-hmm. a huge part of it is that your presence in space is what the foundation of a lot of Lecoq pedagogy and mask work is because we are theater performers. We enter a space and all we have is our body, what you see on stage. And we have to learn how to utilize that. We have to learn the power and the, the unknown connection that an audience has to a performer through the breath, you know, just everything. And this is why it's, this is why it's called devised theater. Um, when you go to Lecoq to study, when you go to Goliad to study, you become what I love is what they say. They be, you believe in you're a theater creator. You don't, you don't leave acting school, you know, you become a theater creator. And what blew my mind is when I discovered about Lecoq and Paola and Philippe Gaulier, I started to meet people who had graduated from the programs. Whenever I saw that theater and them perform, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I watched a different level of performance than I'd ever seen from anybody in improv as well. Uh, So yes, to go back to it, you train, you train the body, you, you train in, and you were mentioned it, James, and something I, I would like to research in my life, which I will soon. But yes, I would believe that Lecoq had a background in athletics in some way. One of the foundations of the Lecoq pedagogy is something called the, the 20 movements. And um, just so you know, like quickly, my background, uh, I never did any of these two-year programs. So I studied with Paola uh, multiple times. These were like three or four-day workshops. And then uh, in 2011, this guy, Philippe Gaulier from uh, France, came to Toronto to teach a two-week workshop. My friend Jess told me about him, said, I think you'd like this. So I was like, okay. And, and he became <laughs> really well-known because uh, at the time, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen had come out and said, I'm nothing without Philippe Gaulier. So this is like the time of Ali G and Borat um, I, yep. I love Sasha. Oh my God. I love Sasha. Oh my God. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, all right, I won't do this. So I signed up, absolutely changed my life in a way that I've never experienced because I didn't learn anything. <laughs> like I had no idea what I learned. I left every day getting the shit kicked out of me. 
and laughing and every day loving, loving everything about life and not knowing what I had learned. Later on, I've realized, oh my God, he taught us so many tools, theatrical tools. I didn't realize what he was teaching at the time. It was 2011. He taught Buffon. He taught Buffon, which is a style of theater. He taught Buffon for two weeks. So in fact, whereas my life is a lot of clown and all these things, I really, you know, I did improv and I learned about long form and all this, but my first foray into European theater, this is my journey, was Buffon. And I've only realized that last year, how impactful the work of Buffon is to me as a performer, more than even clown. Um, and then in 2012, Philippe came back to Toronto and taught clown for two weeks. I did red nose clown with him. Uh, and so maybe we, maybe we could take a quick moment to, to just yeah. uh, go ahead, Bob. I was going to ask. Um, I, I've, I've heard of Buffon only because Sasha Baron Cohen has used it as an example of yes. his style. Where he's like talking to Mark Marin. Can yeah. you give an explanation for the listeners? Like, because yeah. my understanding is more like an antagonist type. <laughs> situation where you're trying to undermine uh someone with high status by impersonating them or 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 almost mirroring some some aspect of their personality they don't see but again i'm i i've only heard a couple interviews about it so and one of the first things we should say to just kind of preface and and contextualize the the conversation as we get deeper into it is that uh uh clown uh Clown in general is something that is almost, um, it's like part of the spirit of clown is to be undefinable. Um, uh, and so it's really hard to pin down exactly what clown is and is not. Um, and so we're going to be talking about it, I think, more in, 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 a, in a general sense as an umbrella of uh, physical theater, um, performance work and that these specific uh, subcategories we, we should probably uh, define to the best of our ability while, while at the same time uh, we say that like clown is um, it can be can, can really include a lot <laughs> and and we and, and by the time uh, we're done with this conversation things that we're calling clown might not be clown anymore you know what I mean that's a very good point <laughs> a very good point because we joke a lot about this in LA because I I discovered a beautiful clown community uh, when I went to LA four and a half years ago. And a lot of my friends, we talk about like, man, if anybody says they know what clown is, they don't know what fucking clown is. Cause I don't know if anybody knows what clown is. Cause every teacher, hey, you know, they'll know yeah. what clown is and they're right. Everybody's right. And like you said, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the, there's the American circus clown. That's the noun. That's like a, that's like what that kind of clown is as a character. But then you've got, You've got red nose masks. You've got the pedagogy of teaching the red nose clown, but then you've got this energetic idea of a person of they're such a clown. <laughs> and I, yep. I'm not standing behind anything of any of my definitions about Buffon or anything. It's just things in my brain that are coming out. Uh, you know, there are so many resources and things to learn about what all this stuff is. Cause yes, absolutely. You will finish this and be like, I don't know if that was really. <laughs> yeah, like you said, I didn't learn anything, but yeah, like, I'm interested. Like I, I, yeah. one of my mentors is Aitor I, I Basauri, and Aitor Basauri is a, uh, he's Basque, which is uh, in Spain. And he is, uh, well, one of the funniest people I've ever met. One of the best teachers and directors 
I've been blessed to study with him multiple times. I've been blessed to be directed by him. He's a genius. I love him. And he will say, he teaches Buffon clown. He mostly teaches clown. He'll say, I suck, you know. <laughs> you know, Buffon for me, you know, it's good, but you know, I'm more like the clown. But Philippe is very good at the Buffon, you know? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like whatever, man. I don't know. Like, how do you even but there is a difference to him and Philippe. There's a big difference. And a- well, what and what is the what is it to you to go back to Bob's question is is like when you distinguish what you learn from clown or what you identify with in clown versus Buffon, what what are what are how are you your how is your experience defining those two? Uh, my own you want my personal experience or what what yeah, I, yeah, I think that's all, I think that's all we can get <laughs> but but yeah what what's like what is uh cuz you were you were talking about um uh the learning uh buffon um and uh sorry what what was the guy's name who came to to Toronto and you eventually went Philippe, to Philippe Gaulier Gaulier so Philippe is is doing buffon and and um and so uh, at this point, looking back on it, um, how are you, how are you kind of distinguishing what you learned as Buffon through uh, Philippe um, versus any any other experience with Clown that you have had up to this point? Uh, very good, very good. May I just say something real quick here? A little timeline things for everybody. So yeah, this is like Lecoq, Jacques Lecoq, right here, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody was like Jacques Lecoq's right here, Philippe Gaulier becomes a student at Lecoq's school and okay. does really shitty, has a hilarious story about it, then then succeeds and becomes friends with Lecoq and begins to teach at the school and then begins to have his own ideas and wants to push it further. So he, he leaves and starts his own school called Ecole Philippe Gaulier. Now, meanwhile, actually before this, he's still teaching at Lecoq and then Paolo Coletto comes in as a student uh, Philippe is one of her teachers at one point. And then he breaks out and goes to his own school. Paola becomes a teacher. Itor, I think Itor, I know for sure Itor studied under Philippe and then taught uh, when Philippe like had his stroke, he taught for Philippe. So um, just so everybody knows there's this, uh, the, like this lineage in a sense of uh, Lecoq and Philippe becoming friends, studying under Lecoq and then leaving to break away to start his own school, which um, again, like one of the two, you want to be a theater creator, you go to Jacques Lecoq or you go to Gaulier. And Gaulier okay. really blew up with uh, the Sacha Baron Cohen stuff. But just to say that. Okay. Now back to okay. the question about me. Um, do you want to know about Buffon and what it is first, or do you want me to just tell you what I feel the differences? Like, let's start with let's start with what what the what you how are you defining Buffon and then and then go to the if difference between yeah. Clown and Buffon? Yeah. Um, well, this is hard. Um, um, so this idea of um, for me, as it was my first real experience learning European pedagogy, and it was Buffon. The energy of the Buffon is that of parody and satire. And I, 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 that's not really the thing that... 
we talked we talked about this. You you were you were in uh, New York doing a show, yeah. and we had a great conversation about uh, Buffon after after the show, trying to have this same conversation of how it's defined. One of the things I found most helpful is you describing it as like the the lowliest um, sort of jester uh, trying to parody and satire the highest seat of power uh, without getting in trouble. So so um, to uh kind of mock uh high power um in in a way that toes the line between being insulting <laughs> yeah and that's exactly why yeah that's why i mentioned the history thing prior to me saying my experience because that's exactly that's exactly what it is right and that you know that's why it was helpful to hear that just now because it's this idea of you are the lowliest piece of shit, you are handicapped, you are whatever, you have multiple problems, and you are allowed one time of the year to come out in front of the upper class and the royalty to perform for them, and you pretend, like you said, to be the upper class without them knowing you're making fun of them, and you have to make them laugh at every moment, and if they don't laugh, they're going to stone you. And they had to leave this show after laughing, going home to their palaces, getting ready for bed, looking at themselves in the mirror. And they have to laugh and look and say, oh, my God, what a lovely time at theater we had. Wait a second. They are making fun of me. And then you kill yourself. <laughs> That's because <laughs> so, you were so duped into, into not knowing they were making fun of you. And then the Buffon slowly go back into the swamp where they live because they are the rejects and the outcasts. And so this ties into two man, no show, uh, this ties into two man, no show because Ken and I have always bonded over being the underdogs and the theme under that very first show, which we ever did together was we want to be the underdogs. We've, we'd always in our personal life experiences, Ken, for people who don't know, uh, has severe scoliosis curvature of the spine and has like 48 bone grafts steel titanium in his spine oh wow i didn't know that yeah yeah many no. many surgeries up until he was 14 i think um wow. and ken is he's another guy to talk to he's uh you know i think he'd be okay he's 15 years sober um he's a he used to be a drummer for a punk rock band and um went back to school became sober and um and uh, uh became a career counselor and then discovered creative writing and improvisation and is one of the most brilliant actors and improvisers you're ever going to see ever and physical performer and would also take every class that I produce and we always learn together. So we went on this journey together. So I, I say that because Ken and I always feel like the underdogs and kind of like end up like that. And so we want to do a show that showed the beautiful journey and the victory of the underdog. And I think that's something about Buffon that really connected with me. It's this, you're dressed on stage, teeth are all blacked out, black fucking paint. You, uh, Philippe puts you under different handicaps. So you have one day where you're, you're all uh, amputees and you don't have arms or legs. You can have uh, hunchbacks, you can have huge bellies. Um, and you have to be in this uncomfortable position on stage and... Um, still find the mockery of the audience without them knowing. And so anyways, with this idea of Buffon, for me, it's this presence on stage of such 
there's always something behind the eye of the Buffon. The, the Buffon always welcomes the audience, is always so nice to greet you, and always tries to go a little bit further. And if you get if you if you come back a bit, the Buffon goes back too and says, "Ah, oh, no, no, no!" Like <laughs> you're absolutely yeah. right. That was uh, that amazing. was that was too far. That was too far. You're you're the best. And then the audience says, "Thank you, I am." And then they come forward. So the idea is, how close can you get? To the audience as a bouffant before they realize what you're doing how close can you get to them what's the charade you know, how can you draw them in without pushing them away while pushing so far in it's, it's so toying the line it is so playing at the edge of our abilities in bouffant i feel because mm. it's a really it's about connection and tension. It's a with connection the and, a, and, a, and a tension, and it's a, a, a connection to the audience. And clown is as well. I'm going to say something that I don't even know if it's true or not for me, but <laughs> clown is very hard for me to do in class. Uh, the, the stripping away, uh, there's something about it that is – you really got to, you got to listen, the vulnerability. It's always hard for me to do it in class. And, and there's something, there's just something that I think I connect to in Buffon that is, I, I think it may connect to like rage. I think it may connect to <laughs> this idea of not, I'm not angry when I do it, but the being, the being the bullied, the being the put down, the thoughts that I have about myself connect to me as a Buffon. And then when I'm on stage, like how close can I? Now I'm in a place where I'm on stage in front of an audience. How close now? Now you're going to give me my chance <laughs> not to get back at you because that's not what I want to do as an audience. And that's not what Philippe is training you to do. That You got to make them laugh. But how can you mock society? You know, how can I mock the bullies? How can I heal others and myself through laughter and pushing that line? You know what I mean? And, and some people, yeah, yeah and, and that's uh, perhaps in a sense, I find so much joy in being ugly and disgusting and being so, I love to push that line. And I think that's where I really fell in love when I did Buffon, because there was something about it connected with me to the parts of improv that I fell in love with. That, that style that I do, which is that big physicality and the big characters and really pushing it. How far can I push it? And not that I don't give a fuck. I give every fucks, but I also don't give a fuck. Yeah. And I want to push it so far. It's like I'm being such a fucking dick, but I'm always listening, hopefully, to know. I will always know what's going on, I hope, but I'm always going to push it so far. And how can I far can I push you? How far can I push myself to be better, you know, to make the audience laugh and enjoy and leave feeling changed in a different way, you know? So, Isaac, yeah, uh, you've watched some uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Have you ever seen that um, that uh, that scene he did where he is Borat and he goes to Nashville and he learns how to become a country singer? And he and he goes and does an open mic, and he gets the whole audience to sing the song with him. Throw the and, Jew and down like, the well. Throw the Jew down the well. Yeah. So my yes, country yeah. can be free. Be free. <laughs> That's the example I use, Bob. Yeah. Okay. That's oh. the example I use for Buffon because to me that's Buffon. To me, it is such. It's a. It's a. 
So it's like so many layers right now. And it's weird because Borat and Sasha have a lot of clown aspects of all the characters is what we're talking about, right? right? You don't really know what it is, but Buffon to me is going in to a bar and making America, I just say this, I'm just saying it this way. You're making Americans in laughter and joy sing, throw the Jew down the well so my country can be free. <laughs> laughing without any idea that it could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> having, yeah. Having Americans who are still under the umbrella of the country of America watch this on TV and laugh and then realize, wait a second, those people are Americans and I'm an American. Yep. Am I a racist, an anti-Semite? Wait a second. And wait, that guy's a Jew? <laughs> like, wait a second. Sasha Barrett... There's so many layers to Buffon in that in that piece that I I think is ab it's so that guy could have been shot so many times. I mean, there's oh, yeah. so My God. many things. Bor like Sasha is a genius in that sense. Somehow he, he survived to this day. But and but it's and it's that mi mission. It's it is like it's very much like un going undercover because and uh, playing that connection and tension with the audience and and finding where that line is because that that line is the difference between going back to the historical thing of uh, doing doing the show and uh, having the message sink in on some level or be taken away or getting crossing the line and getting stoned. <laughs> and also right. I think about now, like, you know, Bob, he was, he was dressed like a clown, you know, and clown, you know, either Philippe will say, okay, you will be the, uh, the butcher. Uh, you, James, will be the, uh, you will be the boxer. <laughs> so he would give you uh, the clown um, character. Other teachers and also Philippe too will say, um, you go to go away, come back, and you have to wear the most stupid costume that'll make you feel the most stupid. What's going to make you feel that? And if we come to class and we come out and we present ourselves, and it's not, then it's say, no, no, this isn't stupid enough. <laughs> come back next class with an even stupider costume. <laughs> and so something about Borat and, Ali and, and Sasha, where like, he's such an idiot. He, he, he finds the costume, he finds the voice, he finds the look, which makes him such an idiot and a beautiful idiot and a clown with Borat. But, and like, even how he talks, like, it's so, you make, it's so much joy, yeah. stupidity, but in what he's doing, it's so grotesque. It is so horrible. It's so disgusting. Uh oh. Man, He's making doing. Paula Abdul sit down in human beings and yeah, yeah. like <laughs> like you're real people. And it's yeah. brilliant, right? Like it's so brilliant, you know, of what he was able to do through it's kind of like Chaplin, right? Like the great dictator. Yeah. How, you know, Chaplin go Oh yeah. Makes light as I, I I love Taika Waititi. I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit, but I know that guy told the line, oh my god, with with Jojo Rabbit, where you can create such beauty and comedy through through something that is so, you know, risque to talk about. But he's, he found the way to do it. He's a genius, in my opinion. Yeah. So maybe, okay, so let me, uh, I went down the same history timeline that it sounds like you've done, Isaac, and, and maybe between the two of us, we can kind of draw a loose path between some of this uh, old historical stuff uh, to now. Because my, my feeling is, that um, 
improv in a way um, is a type of modern clown. Um, and, uh, and if not, at least has the potential to lean more that way. Uh, because when I went looking for like the history and the different eras of clown, uh, what I found is that, um, yeah, you've got, you've got Comedia, um, and, 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 uh, you'll have to help me out here, Isaac, but you got, you got Comedia, um, and then in no particular order, what's the, uh, like Augusti, uh, uh, the first like red nose clown, um, uh, I might yes. be mixing, I, um, I might be conflating some things, um. But then there's 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 circus uh, yes, clown. Yes, yes. Uh, the uh, the white face and the um. Shit. Yeah, keep going. Circus clown. But right. but the, uh, well, yeah yeah yeah. There, there, there's um. Oh yeah yeah. So so there's like white and red clown, right? Where there's yes, like red, high stat yes. high status low status clown. Yeah. Um. And then there's a circus clown where the 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 modern. Uh, maybe misrepresentation of uh, what people think of when they think of clown uh, comes from uh, circus clown having to perform in these very large um, stadiums and circus tents where uh, the, the, um, the audience is so far back that you have to wear makeup to accentuate uh, expressions and also big shoes and wigs and stuff to just get people's attention from that far away. Um, And then you also have uh, the, uh, vaudeville style clown. Um, and then, and then when you start to see cinema, then you have like this idea of tramp and the chap, the chaplain clown that starts to, uh, get adapt itself to being on camera. Um, and then there's kind of this weird, um, evolution where, yeah. Uh, also Buffon and uh, grotesque clown are somewhere in that timeline as well. Uh, but, but, uh, there's also um, like stand-ups um, and uh, just this constant evolution and adaptation of clown uh, reinventing itself on, on like a um, societal level um, to adapt to new mediums and within means so that it can reach uh, an audience um, from a lack of like a lack of means um, or with that low status. And I think that improv being a medium where you're performing on a blank stage without costumes and props and um, the background of like uh, second city being like satirical uh, and still being about like peep the people's theater and um, a current event satire. It, it has that spirit of clown and, uh, a special brand of, of physical theater, or again, at least a potential for physical theater because of the um, imagination aspect of not having set pieces, costumes, and props. Mime is also somewhere in uh, that timeline. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, I, I don't know. I, uh, <clears throat> yeah. So, so do, do, do you feel what I'm, what I'm saying, though, Isaac, is that there's these kind of like evolutions and pivots where clown... Uh, reappears or, or re and re-ev- reinvents itself um and and it, it appears in in uh each era in this different representation and i was tracing this timeline being like i think modern clown is presenting itself in improv in a lot of ways 
Very good. Very good. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and as you're talking, <laughs> well, I just want to like a real quick look down and yeah, it's, it's incredible how it does pop up in, in Commedia dell'arte. It, interesting. I just read, it's like Arlecchino, Arlecchino, the Harlequin was almost uh, something very clown like that. Then in 1801, Joseph Grimaldi who had Auguste is the character you're talking Auguste, about. Yeah. Auguste, the f- first white face clown. He's ah. the first person to use the white face on the clown was Joseph Grimaldi. At this point, I'm like, okay, I don't know. I, mean, I got to really do my research, but absolutely. Because, you know, this thing about the French and Pierrot and these characters coming up, Auguste and performance that come from Commedia dell'arte. And then you've got all of a sudden... This idea of uh, uh, in the 18, uh, you're going to help me out here. Uh, I'm not happy about myself right now. What year was America founded? Wait, 1776? Is that the one? Is that George Washington? Yeah. Are you thinking of the Civil War in the 1800s? 1845 or whatever? No. I'm talking about no. Washington. 1776. Right? 1776. Right, Bob? Sure. Sure. <laughs> Come on, man. So this is like very interesting. It comes up, right? Like now, eighteen oh one was Grimaldi and Auguste, yep. right? And yet, when I was at the Clown Circus Museum in Sarasota, stuff was happening prior to George Washington in America. A lot of shit was happening in France and England. England would get it from France. And this idea, these clown characters and this type of theater would come in until like it made its way over to America before it was America in what they would have before the circus was the cavalry would do shows. And because to make it more, you know, they would do it in the round because the only way to stand up on a horse was to have centrifugal force. So you had to make the horse go in a circle and they had these acrobats. And there was a dude who came from, I think, England, who Philippe talks about as the first clown, where he would come around and he actually visited America. And what he would do is he would dress like a tramp because he realized hey, you know, my shit isn't like really hitting as hard. I'm going to dress like a tramp with tattered clothing, like a hobo. And what's going to happen is like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then he would fall off the horse into a somersault land, take off his costume. And he'd be a beautiful, you know, in the, in the captain's cavalry. And he would do all his acrobats on the horse. And so this idea of playing this clown then developed into this round, into the circus, into, into George Washington saying, this is something everybody has to go to. This is something. And this is right wow. when America was formed that then they built the railroads. They built the railroads for the circus. That's why they built the fucking railroad. Like it was entertainment that got the railroads made so that the people of America would be happy, not even to get food across. Like it was for the circus. It's crazy. And within the circus, these these famous performers and the comedy of the circus was the clown. And then these different characters that, of course, came from like the British and French and the white and the hobo clown, the tramp clown. 
Yes. And there is also this book about improv, which I haven't read, very thick book, just came out a few years ago about the history of improv. I've heard that, this is something I want to talk about too. I've heard that, um, so Spolin, yeah, like Spolin, Viola, she, I, I, I've got to butcher this. I'm going to butcher this. It's either Spolin or somebody before her learned about games for children working at an orphanage in Europe somewhere. These kids games, that how, do, how do I make 46 orphans be happy? And that became the base, the foundation of theater games. Mm-hmm. which is what Viola Spolin's book oh. is about, games for theater. And I wanted to say this, which I haven't said yet. With Golier, what I learned in 2011 that blew my mind was that at the foundation of all of this training in this style of theater is called Le Jeu. And Le Jeu is the game. Le Jeu is play. And what blew my mind was that when you go to Golier, when you go to Lecoq, you learn le jeu. That's the first thing you learn before neutral masking. Everything is le jeu. And as you learn le jeu, you can't ever just learn it and you're good. You, you, le jeu is at the basis of everything. That, you know, you work with Philippe neutral mass, you work Greek chorus, you work bouffants later, it's very hard. So you do like melodrama in second year, you do Shakespeare. But everything is with le jeu. Everything is with the play. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to learn Shakespeare as a Shakespearean actor. You're learning le jeu, and then you do it. And when you learn le jeu at Golier and at Lecoq, you don't learn zip, zap, zop as, hey, everybody, let's get up and do zip, zap, zop. Now sit down and let's do some improv. <laughs> you don't do it like that. <laughs> up, you get up, and you ha- you do, you know, as if you 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 connect. You are so intent in your body and connected to everybody in that in that room. In this connection, you feel the energy, you feel the rhythm, you feel the play, and you can't go on until you start to be able to get that to get that play every time you're on stage to feel that energy of play of le jeu. Then you do Shakespeare with Le Jeu. So I just yeah. want to say that Le Jeu is such a huge part because that to me is the games that Spolin plays is the Le Jeu, are the games that we learn in improv when we're starting out. And, and that to me blew my mind because then I'm like, oh, I couldn't watch improv after studying with Philippe because I can't watch it if there's no play anymore yeah it's interesting because and and i think it is fair to say that that of all the things that are so hard to define about clown that uh sense of play is definitely the consistency right is that that is the the element of it and that uh that involves um being in a uh a live a lively energetic a state of play and then sharing that moment and connection or, 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 or using it to reach other people uh, and bring them into that sense of play. And I think that what you, what uh, I'm connecting with and what you're saying, Isaac is, is that, yeah, it, se- it seems like that's obviously in the roots of modern improv. Um, but it seems like in um, 
there's also the, the uh, a tendency or a push to to kind of like puzzle out the dialogue and get it closer and close closer to sketch, um, where uh, it, it might make more sense or to to have at least a another branch of it that gets farther and farther from sketch, so that you're tapping into the things that don't translate uh, or aren't repeatable or, or so uh, objective about um, improv. And I think that that's something that's present in your style of play, Isaac, and in yeah. two man, no show is those, um, those, those things that you had to be there for in the best way that like it, it capitalizes on the, on the real people in the real room and the, the mysterious magical energy that is connecting everybody um throughout the show and in these spikes of discovery together as that that you can't you can't uh transfer and carry over to putting on on paper um or on camera it's 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 hard to catch that lightning in a bottle and um improv has this uh embedded opportunity to have that present in shows, but it, it seems that the more dominant style is is to get it closer and closer to being um, something that feels like a, like a written show or or scripted theater. Um, yet it's improvised, which is interesting. Yeah, th- uh, thank you for saying that. I, I do appreciate that. Um, and it's interesting. I at Lecoq, you don't talk for the first year. There's no. Everything you create, everything you train in, there's no dialogue. There's no talking. So I just like was thinking as you're saying, I'm like, man, when you go to study this kind of training, you got to like, you work your body, you work le jeu, you work the game. You learn the 20 movements, which tie into mime and acrobatics and this kind of training. You learn about your body and space. You learn neutral mask. You don't learn it to be funny. You learn it to feel before anything, what it feels like to be present on stage, to find neutrality so that you can play anything. Eventually you're allowed to talk, <laughs> eventually. And, <laughs> and then once you get there, it all just tanks. Cause once you start, when you put the mask on, like you have, you have neutral, then you have lar- uh, before larval, you have uh, animals and uh, colors and materials and elements. So the, you wear a mask of earth and air and water and fire and you breathe like fire and you move like fire and you move like a candle and you move like a forest fire and you move like a placid puddle and then you move like you're in a typhoon and you breathe like that and you go in between and then you learn how to move like a rainbow and that shit is so weird. <laughs> Let me tell That's you so how fucking weird it is to be like, you're not moving like orange. And I'm like, what the fuck? Does that mean? <laughs> and I had my breakthrough in colors. I will say I really had a breakthrough in colors. And then you learn animals, which I love. You got to go to the zoo and you got to watch an animal and see it and come back and you got to be an orangutan. So I just want to say that also, once you get past that, you go to larval, which is a completely amorphous blob shape with the most subtle movements, with beginning to have expression and theatricality and scene work. And then you go to half mask, which you're allowed to do gibberish when they have have very expressive, I'm sorry, expressive mask. So it's weird, like bulging, very cartoonish, but only gibberish. 
and you're doing scenes and it's really hard. Then you go half mask, which are even more human, uh, humane-like and have actual, like they look like they're humans. And then you can almost speak in real words. That's gotta be gibberish. <laughs> it's gotta be gibberish. But then you got, but then you can speak. Yeah. And then, I don't know. I mean, it depends what, how you want to teach it, your pedagogy, but like in the second year, you do the red nose, the clown, because at this point you've gone through two years. Wow. Doing all this physical training, all this, you know, how you stand, you know, how to be present, you know, how to have complete pay with your partner and yourself and the audience, you know, how to listen, you know, how to move and be light on stage. Then you do clown, <laughs> which is so hard. And it's almost like that's what you're not you, but that's what that's what teachers that uh, that's what some people teach improv like. They say, "Okay, get up. Uh, let's do zip zaps up. Let's do eights, and then go up and do genius theater with talking." And I'm like, "How can you?" That's like going through five years of training in, in like the first twelve minutes of class. And no one's, you know what I mean? So that's why it's, it, it's, it's, it's improv is a beautiful and the most beautiful art form because also in the school of Lecoq and Goliath, it's all improv. All we're doing and nothing is written. Everything is made up. All the jeu, all the, the things you do and talking to, you know, and playing, it's all made up on the spot. So you have to put yourself into it as well. So I, you know, to say what you're saying, I, I do appreciate it, James, because uh, there's something magical about improv that in a class on stage, you had to be there. You know what I mean? And whether we know we're doing it or not, when those performers on stage, two or many, find themselves with such commitment and play in that moment, you just, you can't. You can't recreate it. It's so beautiful. And, and it's everything. It's the shapes they're making on stage. It's the sounds they're making. It's the context. It's the gameplay yeah. and the narrative there's a story and there's game there's legit behind it and there's theater that's being created and it's magic man it's absolute magic but it's a real hard journey and people got to be really easy on themselves and then realize you've never gotten to your point where you've learned it you can always yeah. learn more yeah yes yeah. yeah yeah and i so yeah maybe maybe uh just to kind of um, reframe the point I was uh, saying earlier, because I, I don't want to make it sound like I think it's a negative thing that people are doing like sketch like or scripted play like improv. I, I just feel like um, that's that's been very successful and um, I think more traveled than leaning into the other side of like, what if we said fuck it to, the, to like what's going on in the uh, text of the dialogue and just uh played up the physical and uh con connected uh like attention energy um in in the room um and so i so i think i'm curious isaac like um with with the style that that uh you have that that you and ken have um what would you like to see more of or what would you suggest that that people uh pursue if this conversation is something that people made it this far into um and are 
uh, interested in, um, how can you kind of like open yourself up more to this style of play or, or seek it out? Um, well, what, one, one, one thing I will say, and I, we've said it before on this show is that if, you, if people get a chance to go see two man, no show <laughs> all the time. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Two man, no show. Um, SMP too, man. I mean, those, those, we, we don't get to play very much because, um, we just don't. I live in LA most of the time, but we got to play Ottawa yeah. and it was just magic playing with those guys. Um, what would I like to, I mean, first of all, seek out more. God, that's a great question. Seek out. Uh, I, I, it's hard now at this time. Totally. Of pandemic. You know what I yeah. mean? But my, my, my Paola, <laughs> she, she, I spoke to her and she said, uh, this happened. I said, no way. I'm never going to teach online. <laughs> like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the way she does it. How the hell is she going to get a broom handle behind your back? How are you going to lie down on a broom handle to find your neutrality of your spine? You know, how are you, how are you going to do that yeah, right. from a zoom call? How is she going to be able to see your body when you're in neutral mass? How are you going to feel your people behind you as you enter when the audience wants you to enter? on a zoom call unless you have a Bluetooth yeah. headset. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so seek it out. There are still things that uh, uh, Dean Evans is teaching mime weekly in LA. Um, I haven't really done the research of who else. I know it's a lot of people probably doing online classes, but mime work, you know, I'll tell you, mime sucks. Okay. Shots fired. And I'll tell you something. Hard stance on miming. I'll tell you something. I fucking love mime. Okay. So I say <laughs> mime is dead. Long live mime, baby. Okay. Because when you got like Dean Evans teaching mime, it's fantastic. You know, and my teacher in the school was fantastic. When you got somebody teaching you mime, you're going to go in thinking mime sucks. But if you can be open to mime work, not the mime work we get taught in improv, not not go up on stage. Uh, you have to mime a cup better. When you begin to learn the European style of where mime comes from, from corporeal mime and from Jacques Copeau and Marcel Marceau, it is such a beautiful art form. You will see your performance increase dramatically on stage with mime. Cause that's where a lot of this physical work comes from with macaque is from the mime. Like when you realize how many different rotations and inclinations your body can do, you have triple design. So you separate into five points here, boom up and everything is a different emotional moment. So anyway, yeah. mime is amazing. Do some mime during the quarantine. Um, uh, 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 like in yeah, well, honestly, honestly, that's something like I, I always tell yeah. students, like if you're looking for things that you can practice at home on your own, uh, mime and object work is one of them. And if, if nothing else, if, if it's not uh, going to fully engage your sense of play, just getting uh, articulation and, and some dexterity down in, in your uh, movements is a skill set that you can hone and be better prepared to play with uh, once you do train it. Can I say something? So with that, during this time, what I've found for myself, healing, dance, 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 dance is even, you know, it's, it's where masks started, you know, it's even made before mask. It's like, it was dance, man. And it was also the music. It was the musicality. It was the mixture of the, the drumming 
and the percussion and the rhythm, the, it's something primal about percussion and dance and movement that so many people are shy about. But if you can be by yourself, you can follow along, you know, Ryan Heffington, I love him. He's really saved me this, this quarantine. If you can dance more, dance, man, like dance, baby, because dance is play. It is the body. It is movement. It is musicality. And to me, when you're on stage, you, you know, you're dancing. When you're in play, learning le jeu, it's a dance. When you're with your scene partner, you're watching this beautiful dance, you know? And, and I think that is such a beautiful way to be in our bodies and to make sure we stretch and to be stronger and more flexible and mobile and to know what we can do. Because once I learned what I could do with my body, my performance and the way I presented myself really changed because I didn't want to get up on stage anymore and be like, I don't want to be on stage and have a moment of thinking, I can't do that. I want to know I can do that. I want to know my body can handle it and know my limits. And I'm going to push that because when I'm pushing myself to the limit, the audience is going to feel that too, you know? And yep. so I will say, you asked me too, like what, what can, what can people do more? Or what do I want to see more of? Uh, you know, to understand, uh, I want to see the fourth wall being broken. I want to see the fourth wall being broken. The fourth wall is not a bad thing. The fourth wall is a great thing. Huge. I love it. Love the fourth wall. Okay, it's a lovely thing. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I love the fourth wall. Shots fired on the fourth wall. All right. I, like, the fourth wall is beautiful, right? It's just fascinating. Our conversations, the beautiful conversation we've just had, uh, it's like entertainment started without one entertainment started in this, in this country, at least in America without a fourth wall uh, in the circus, you know, even when people create theater and the lights go down, lights come up, you can perform. Not that there's, you don't have to like be facing the audience and looking at them and do all this shit, but you can be with your partner on stage and you can breathe in and, and understand that there is a world out there watching you in that room with you in that moment and listen to them and listen to your partner and listen to yourself and be open to giving them what they want and giving yourself what you want and giving your partner what they want. So just, I would love to see people do that more. And I think if people yeah. started really being open to what they, what brought them joy and if they were really open to what is my partner doing, how can I bring my partner joy? If they were listening to, how can I bring the audience joy in this moment? There's a beautiful cocktail that is made in theater where all of a sudden you're up on stage and you know, you're fucking humping a chair because you know what? I feel I really want to hump this chair in the context of whatever. <laughs> and my partner supporting it and that's what he wanted. And then the audience they're loving it and they're laughing. So I'm going to keep doing it. So all of us are kind of getting what we want in this moment. Whereas a lot of times people aren't really listening to that. They're listening to perhaps what a teacher is saying. Uh, yes. You know what I mean? It's like, no, I have to do yeah. this. It's, it's, it, I, I want to see people be free. I want to see people yeah. be free and I want to see them dream. Cause probably the most, the beautiful thing, most beautiful thing that Philippe ever taught me, and all of us is that um, 
if you go on stage and you have a dream, you create a dream in the audience. And that's, it's still the most beautiful thing he's ever said, which is you have to go on stage to dream. And you won't dream every night, but when you're on stage and you're dreaming, everybody in the audience will dream with you and you create a whole world for them. And it's absolute mm -hmm. magic, you know? And, you know, he said somebody comes up and plays Richard the third or whatever in this show and he dreams <laughs> is like, Oh my God, I feel like I can do that and I can be free in my life and be like this. And the next night he doesn't dream that he's Richard the <laughs> third. Then he eats shit and he's terrible, but that's how it works. Yeah. But as long as we can go out and, and do our best to dream, you know, I think that we can heal people. And we, we know that, especially in improv, we have the choice of every moment to do whatever we want. So why not take every moment to dream and heal and share with the audience and bring laughter and vulnerability? Yeah, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I do hope that was beautiful. <laughs> I do hope that um, in the unfortunate time that we are unable to uh, physically surround ourselves with with uh, other people and, and engage in theater in this way, that uh, once we are able to do that in a way that is uh, safe, um, that we overcompensate for what we've been missing out on during this time, yeah. uh, which is to make more use of movement and physicality um, and carry all the great things about the verbal aspect that we've been sustaining um, o over the virtual improv and uh, couple it with um, uh, a stronger return to physical theater. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, the guy who uh, introduced me to Clown, who is Anthony Corser. Um, and uh, Leah um, Erzendowski Corser. Um, Anthony taught my Clown Day of a physical theater intensive at Second City uh, a long time ago. And um, kind of like you were saying, Isaac, I reached out to them a couple years later to work with, uh, to come to, to come to the Metro Detroit community and, and teach, uh, so some workshops at go and, uh, yeah, to work, fun. work with a group that I was directing and they took the leap and, and did it. I didn't really, I didn't know Anthony, um, beyond just taking the class, but I, but I reached out and they came and, uh, Anthony and Leah, uh, put people through the, the physical theater boot camp of, of a couple of workshops and, um, so if, if you're, I think, I, I believe they're still based out of Chicago. Uh, those, those might be somebody that, to seek out workshops with. Um, and, uh, I love clowns, man. Beautiful clowns. Yeah. I'll just go everywhere. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so happy that we had this time to talk and that we were able to, to really live yes. up to the name of talking at length about wow. <laughs> the subject of, of clown and your Sorry, style guys. and your story. So <laughs> man, I yeah. loved it. Oh, Wow. Yeah, yeah. We, we can do this for another hour. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm in it. Yeah. Well, we talked in we talked in between that that like this conversation is not going to be for everybody, um, right. and the the topic uh, probably doesn't appeal to everybody, and um, that's okay. W what this conversation is for is, I think, uh, uh, people who have this restless something that they can't quite put their finger on that have heard this conversation and go, Oh shit, 
I think that's the thing I need to seek out in order to open me up because I'm feeling like Isaac was saying or like James has said, and that might be the thing that, that I need. And hopefully this can be a beacon for you to look out for these things um, if you are in that handful of people that uh, that that need it. Because uh, you, sometimes you don't know until, until until you have that light come on. So this could be your light. And I think that, uh, you know, perhaps when this, oh, who knows, we go back to normal, but we may see some of the best improv of all time. Yeah. Or the worst. But you know what? I would rather see the worst than mediocre because I, I want to <laughs> see people so, so pent up, no. so pent up. Because what Philippe taught me in that first session was this desire to be on stage, to have the pleasure to be on stage, the pleasure in the eyes. And if you didn't have the pleasure in your eyes when you enter the stage, you have to get the fuck off the stage because you're boring. And so people, we are going to be so hungry for human contact and human touch. And perhaps this time will, will lead to a great revolution. And, you know, people just missing it so much that true love comes on and we kind of, you know, it's not like fuck it to technique, but we enter this era of remember when we couldn't do that and now we can. So let's just take every moment yeah. and just fucking yeah. Yeah. play hard. Truly a new no. movement. Am I right? Oh, oh, I see what you did there. Ta. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, th I think, I think those are our closing thoughts, Bob. You got anything to close on? No, just uh, honestly, this is not my my background. So just just listen to you guys. I'm like honestly, yeah, but I, I've really enjoyed this. So thank cool. you guys. Um, okay, well, thanks again. Any any uh, last plugs you want to make, uh, Isaac, of, of things you're doing either online or um, in the virtual world uh, before we get back to normal? Well, I mean, uh, the Pack Theater in LA is doing a lot of a lot of shows all the time online. Check their stuff out. I've been on. Uh, uh, Rachel Resnick's anti-influencer hour. I think you can watch them. I I'm doing a fun character called Aqua Ryan at the end of every show. It was a character I, <laughs> I don't want to say developed because he's just a really crazy European dude. Um, and uh, I mean, two men, no show. We might do our monthly party, hard, hard party online at some point. I mean, I think the beauty is that everything's available. So if you will miss it or never watch it, you can always just skip forward and fast forward everything now, which is yeah. great. So if you don't, you don't watch it, if you don't like this conversation, you won't even be here right now. Skip it. Yeah. Skip it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've already skipped it. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you for having yeah. me guys. One Love final thank you. And Love you, uh, thank you for having yeah. me. Love you too, buddy. Love you, buddy. Thanks for so good to us. see you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.